Amen. Uh, we have some guests, not guests, we have some special speakers today, and uh, they're going to kind of give you a quick, uh, short testimony of what God has done in their life. And so on the fourth Wednesday nights, we started something this last uh, month that we're going to go out and uh, just go into our neighborhood and our community and invite people to church, have an opportunity to share the gospel. And uh, this past uh, fourth Wednesday night, we had almost 30 people show up. Uh, I was really shocked. Tyler was really gung-ho about this, and I thought, well, let him do it, and five people will show up and be discouraged. Uh, great leader I am, but that was not the case. There was 30 people that showed up, and uh, so two of them, uh, and as well as Tyler, are going to give a short testimony about maybe a little bit about their fears of doing that and how God allowed them to overcome their fears. And I, my, my guess is this morning that another one of their fears is standing here talking to you. And uh, so pray for them, and I'll turn it over to Tyler. I'm not sure how he's got it planned, but uh, thank you. Let's give him a hand this morning. Would you, would you give him a hand? So like John was saying, I was part of the uh, team that went out and talked to people around the, uh, around the neighborhood and got to, uh, got to invite everybody to church and um, talked to a lot of people that um, weren't really sure about their salvation and got to uh, share what our beliefs in salvation were and heard a bunch of them that were not in line with the Bible. Um, but before, before all that, on Wednesday morning, I was uh, praying and doing my Bible study and looking for, for something for God to, to speak to me to make it easier because I don't like talking in front of people and this is actually really terrifying right now. <laughs> um, but I was reading in Romans 10 and uh, verse 14 really jumped out at me. It said, how then will they call on him uh, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have n never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that, that really spoke to me because there's so many people out there that, that they've heard different ways to get to heaven and, and to have a relationship with God, and they're, they're not the right way. Um, so we went out, and it was me, my wife, and Judy Beard. Um, they threw me into the fire immediately and made me do the first house, so that was kind of scary. Um, but we went out and we, we had really good conversations with people, invited everyone to church. Um, one really stuck out, stood out to me. Um, we talked to this kid about 18 years old and uh, we asked him if he ever, ever put his faith in Christ and, and believed in him and um, he told us, yeah, when, when I was a baby and immediately I I've been in church my whole life. I know, I know the right answer, and it just, I froze. I couldn't, I couldn't give him what the correct answer should be and, and how he should know Christ, and that's, that's really, really bothered me ever since. So I've been, uh, I've been really looking for opportunities to, to speak to other people. Um, I've talked to two guys that I work with this week about Christ, and it's really, it's really opened up a ton of doors there's so many opportunities in your day-to-day -day life. So just uh, keep an eye out, and I hope more people will join us next, next month. Amen. Good job, That's good stuff. Well, good morning. I'm Laura. Uh, bear with me. I am not a public speaker. This little fire of sharing the gospel with people was really lit under me when um, Tyler somehow talked us into going on the mission trip down to the Houston area to do door-to-door -door evangelism, which is not anything I have ever done. 
Um, we committed to going on this trip long before we knew how the month of March was going to go for us. Little did we know at the time that it was just Satan attacking Justin and I with challenge after challenge, and by the end of the month, uh, we were cleaning up after dinner, and I told Justin, I am just feeling really overwhelmed. I don't think I can go on this trip because my heart and my mind are not in the right place. And um, he came over and put his hands on my shoulders, and he said, I know that this has been a lot. Things have really piled up. I do feel like we've been under attack, but the more that happens, the more I realize that we need to be on this trip because God has a plan. So we went. Um, we made it down to the Houston area and had lunch with one of the project leaders. Um, and over lunch, he discussed what we could expect over the weekend and what was expected out of us. And all of a sudden, God's grace just poured down, and we were able to forget all of our problems at home and just focus on what God had planned for us over the weekend. The next thing we know, we're knocking on doors and sharing the gospel with people that have never heard Jesus, which still blows my mind that this happens in the States. Um, we were met with varied responses from people. Some immediately closed the door with immediate rejection. Others just seemed to mockingly humor us, not really having any interest in what we had to say. People said things like, um, I don't need that, I don't have time for that, or I am doing just fine on my own. Um, one of the fears that um, Pastor John talked about a couple, a couple months ago in Wednesday Night Church was the fear of rejection when you take that step forward and try to share Jesus with somebody. Let me tell you, fear of rejection, personal rejection, was not the problem that, that we faced while we were out there. Um, after hearing uh, Pastor Dave talk about what Jesus did for us at the cross and then hearing somebody say, I don't need that, that is physically painful. And there were times that I walked away from people's houses just feeling nauseated because they made that decision for their eternity. And what if nobody goes back to share with them and try to bring the gospel to them? Um, so that was, uh, that was completely different. So if you're, if you're having fears of rejection, just disregard that and take that step forward because God will handle that for you. Another fear that I had was not having the right words to say, kind of like this morning. Um, there were times we would walk up to people's doors and I would knock, or Tyler would say, hey, Laura, you're up. And so I'd walk up to the door and knock and draw a complete blank. And there was one instance where I, the, some lady opened the door and I introduced our group and completely forgot that I was married to the big guy standing next to me. <laughs> So if that wasn't awkward, this lady's looking at us. My husband's like, what did I do to you? And I'm standing there confused, and Tyler's looking at me and Justin. And, but all of a sudden, God's grace just pours down on the situation, and you're suddenly involved in a conversation that can not only impact their life, but change their eternity. Um, so don't let Satan put fears on you, or don't let your fears keep you from sharing the gospel with people, because the devil will do everything he can to prevent you from doing it. Um, one of the things that the project leader told us over lunch that first afternoon that we went out, um, he said, um, God will honor your efforts. If you take that step forward and knock on that door and approach that person, God will give you the right words. He will give you, he will give you what you need to get you through those circumstances, and he was absolutely right about that. Um, I really encourage you to take advantage of the door-to-door -door opportunities on the fourth Wednesday of every month with Tyler. If you're shy, he'll bring it right out of you and push you right up to the front door. Um, it's really done a lot for me, and I was blessed beyond I can even explain. 
Um, the blessing is from being on that trip and kind of introducing the, the, the ideas of evangelism, getting out there and getting a little experience, overcoming fears and developing these skills has just been a, a game changer for me. Um, so I encourage you to take advantage of, of those opportunities. You go out as a team so you're never by yourself. If you get choked up and lose your thoughts, you have this guy right here to start talking. And you know he can. You don't have to jump on a plane with a passport and go somewhere to evangelize. You don't even have to travel out of town. We have so many opportunities and so many great people um, to witness right here. Well, amen. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about my heart uh, and kind of how God worked to get me here and, and to have the honor to do what I do uh, at Hallmark. And so... Um, this July will make the ninth year that I've been a Christian. Um, I was saved through the ministry uh, at this church. I was attending here, went to church camp, and gave my life to Christ. And there was no one that could shut me up about Christ uh, when I first got saved. Uh, I made lots of mistakes. I didn't share very well, but I was going to tell you about Jesus, whether you wanted me to or not. And um, I was on fire for the Lord. And over the next couple of years, and through some unfortunate circumstances, um, I allowed myself to believe the lie that I've been doing the wrong thing. And I allowed myself to um, decide I wasn't going to tell people uh, about Christ as much anymore. And uh, that was about my senior year of high school. And so I went off to uh, a Baptist university, majored in religion, even pastored a church while I was there. And for four years... I was unfaithful and neglected to share the gospel with people. Now, uh, being in ministry, there was a few softball pitches that were thrown to me that I just couldn't miss. And so I had the chance to share the gospel on a few occasions. And in all my sermons, I preached the gospel. But I was at a university where I had the chance to meet, talk with, and brush shoulders with at least a thousand people that were lost. And because of my unfaithfulness to God in that area of my life, there's a thousand people that didn't hear about the gospel because I was simply too afraid. And I always felt empty. I felt, now I was filled with the joy of the Lord, but when it came to evangelism, or when someone talked about sharing the gospel, something burned in my heart, and I knew that was what I should be doing. But I never worked up the courage to do it. So in the regards to evangelism, I wasted four years of my life at a Baptist university as I was pastoring a church. And I'm grateful for God's grace to forgive me of that time of my life. But when I came to Fort Worth uh, with Ashley and started attending Southwestern Seminary, Dr. Patterson talks about evangelism every day. Um, the professors take students out to share the gospel every day of the week or every weekday. Um, everything was about evangelism. And it finally, uh, when I enrolled in an evangelism class, my professor said, you have to share the gospel 12 times before the end of this semester or you fail. And if you don't complete the 12 evangelistic encounters, then you will write a book. You'll read a book about evangelism, write a book review of it, and then share the gospel with 12 people. So I wanted to share the gospel with 12 people, and I think I did with about 11 and a half, and I still passed. Um, but it was the first time in my life that I had to schedule evangelism. 
And some people don't like the thought of scheduling evangelism, and, and I thought that too, right? Because some people say, um, well, you shouldn't schedule evangelism. That's forcing something, forcing a situation. And I believe that until I realized that we schedule our time to pray. We schedule our time to read. We schedule our time to meet for church services. We schedule our time to go on dates. To fail to plan is to plan to fail. And I learned that through scheduling intentional opportunities of evangelism, God grew me. Those 12 scheduled and forced evangelistic encounters helped me to overcome my fear, which helped me to share the gospel with way more than 12 people last year. It helped me and my wife to share the gospel with our waitress last night at our restaurant. And she was extremely receptive of the gospel and very happy that we got to share with her and invite her to church. It's given me the opportunity to overcome what was always holding me back, and it's allowed me to fill with joy an area of my life that was empty. It's helped me to be obedient to God. I, I see door-to-door -door evangelism like hitting off of a tee. A five-year-old that's just starting the game of baseball hits off of a tee, and the major league baseball player that gets paid millions to play the game hits off of a tee. Door-to-door -door evangelism may possibly be the most awkward way to share the gospel, but I guarantee you, you'll get the chance, right? And as you're practicing on the basics of what it means to share the gospel, they're hearing the message that can change their eternity, and you're practicing. And just like uh, Caleb shared, and, and as I know Laura has also, um, she didn't tell you that when she got back from Houston, she went and knocked on 98 uh, of her neighbor's homes and shared the gospel with them anytime they opened the door. Um, and so I'll brag on her because she won't brag on herself. Um, when you're able to practice at the basics of door-to-door -door evangelism, then the person that sits across from you at work is a lot less intimidating. Or the waitress or waiter at your restaurant or your neighbor. So would you please come with us on the fourth Wednesdays of every month and practice sharing the gospel. You'll be with a team, and you'll get to share with someone something that could change their eternity, and it will also help you to grow in boldness, just like it has helped me to be able to share the gospel in your everyday situations. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. They did a great job. Appreciate Laura and uh, Caleb and Tyler, and I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is we're going to continue our uh, series in uh, this Ask series. We're talking about uh, prayer. And I hope that you have in the last two weeks been challenged uh, to uh, spend more time in prayer. I hope you've been challenged to think through uh, how you pray, when you pray, why you pray. And, uh, and so today we're going to answer the question, how? And we're not going to take much time this morning to go through our review, but we're going to answer the question, how? So let's read in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go ahead and read beginning in verse number 5. All right, so Matthew 6, verse 5. Hope you have your Bible out and ready to follow along. Here we go, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, and, and uh, before I, I guess I start, I should let you know, this is Jesus speaking, okay? Jesus is speaking to disciples. He says, when you pray... You should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their 
reward. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door to pray to your Father, who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for the many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Then verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray. And so now we're going to read the Lord's Prayer, what we've termed as the Lord's Prayer, when the reality, I know I've said this every week, it's not necessarily a prayer. Uh, Jesus is not praying here. He's teaching them to pray. So it's not wrong to recite it as a prayer to God, but just understand that in the context, Jesus wasn't praying. He was teaching them to pray. So he said, in the manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, hold your spot in Matthew 6 and turn to Luke chapter 11. Okay, Matthew 6, hold your spot there. We're going to go back to it. Turn me to Luke chapter 11. So we're going to kind of get the context, the same context and, and uh, the same pattern of prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter number 11. But I want us to read the first, starting in, in uh, Luke 11 verse 1. That will give us a little, maybe a little more background or context for the conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples as he's teaching them to pray. He says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And it's interesting that as Jesus was praying, you, you see the context here, he had went and prayed. And, and so my thinking, what I would understand is that it seems in this text that the disciples were able to hear and listen and experience Jesus the Messiah pray. And that experience of hearing Jesus pray, the experience of, of uh, the emotions that were attached to his prayer, the, the, the way he addressed God, they experienced that. And after they experienced and listened and, and, and observed the prayer of Jesus, what was the question they had for Jesus? Lord, teach us to pray. And I think we could kind of figure out why they would have asked Jesus to pray is that, that maybe Jesus' prayer life was completely different than their prayer life. You, you guys ever met someone that was really good at something and you just went and asked them, I want to learn how to do it like you do it, right? And so they experienced Jesus in a conversation with God, the Creator. And they wanted that experience. They wanted to learn how to do that. They wanted to know how to do that. It's interesting as um, Old Testament and Jewish scholars has been said that uh, in, in the Old Testament period of time that when they would write down the word Yahweh or Jehovah, they would throw away their pen because 
they didn't deem that pen. It, it was once they've written the name of God down, no other word could be written with that pen. No other word was worthy of being used by that pen. And, and so the disciples' background and what they had been trained in it was this form of prayer, what they experienced, Jesus, was more of this conversation, personal prayer, was something they wanted. They, they were tired of the formality. They were tired of how they had experienced prayer and, and so how does Jesus, when, he, when he's teaching them to pray, what's the first? So when you pray, say this. And he starts out by saying what? Our Father who art in heaven. They would have never heard another teacher tell them to address God in such a flippant manner, for lack of better terms. We went, we went over this the first week, talking about who can pray to God. It's If you're a child of God and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, these three got up here and talked about going door to door and telling people that they have got to give their life to Jesus Christ in order to spend eternity in heaven to receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, I came to give you life. I came to give you abundant life. I came to give you everlasting life. And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and we talked about this, then you can address who you pray to as God the Father. And I'm not sure that in our setting, in our culture, that we can completely grasp the significance that was for the disciples to hear Jesus tell them, address God as your Father. So they're learning to pray. And we're going to look at three words, okay? So on your bulletin, we're going to walk through this outline. This is, I'm not, I'm not really sure if this is so much kind of how to pray as also what to pray, kind of overlapping here this morning. And, and so we're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Number one, pray for Provision. Pray for provision. So there's three key words. So in, in your Bible, I would encourage you, Matthew 6, verse 11, to circle or highlight or underline the words, give us. So Jesus is telling the disciples, give us our daily bread. So it's this prayer of provision. And notice the key word I think in here is daily bread. Bread, And I think the significance of this is not just implying to pray for food, okay? It's, it's praying for the bread of life or spiritual nourishment, physical and spiritual nourishment, daily provision. That every day, it's a reminder in the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament when uh, Moses had led the people out of the nation of, uh, out of Egypt and they're there in Exodus to read about manna from heaven? And remember what the stipulation was, grab enough manna, and the measurement was there given, grab this much for this day, and tomorrow you'll go out and get the same amount for that day and the next day, right? And what would happen if they went and gathered more than a day's worth? It would go bad. Now, could God have given them enough manna to last the entire week? Of course he could have. In fact, on Fridays, they would go out and they would gather that measurement twice. So they would gather enough for Friday, and then they would gather enough for Saturday, because Saturday was their Sabbath, the day of rest. And so they didn't have to go out and gather or work on Saturday, so they had enough. And, and 
in that instance, Friday to Saturday, when they gather two days' worth of manna, it didn't spoil. So God could provide for the whole week, couldn't he? He could have provided for the whole month if he wanted to, right? But what did he want them to understand? That every morning when they got up and got out of their tent to go see the food, God provides. It's an understanding of dependence on God. So every morning or every evening or during the day when I pray, God, will you provide for me? It's another reminder in my life that every good gift is from God himself. The truth is everything I have in my life, it's not because I've worked hard for it. It's because God has given it to me. So every day when I pray, give me this day, my daily bread, it's a reminder of my dependence for God's provision in my life. Give us. The second one there says in verse number 12, and forgive us. So we pray for provision. The second one on your outline there is we pray for pardon. We pray for pardon. So forgive us. It says there in, in verse 12, give us this day, our da- or verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this, this understanding of debt here really is more what Jesus is saying is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, understand that if, as we've talked a few times already this morning, even through testimony, that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you've confessed your sins to the Lord, that that salvation experience, that moment you gave your life to Christ, God says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Amen. That that salvation is secure. Ephesians talks about that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Romans says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so this prayer for pardon, as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, also for us as believers, is not so much the prayer of salvation, but it's this prayer of reconciliation. Now, how many of you ever decided, especially you men in here, how many of you, maybe some of your seniors, ever decided that you were big enough to take on your dad. Anybody ever have that moment? I think most of us had that moment in time, right? Anybody, did that go well for you? I can remember it was like yesterday. I was about 12 years old. We were in the hallway right outside my parents' house. I don't remember the situation, but I remembered I'm going to take him right now. It didn't take long for me to realize that's not happening. So as a, a teenager, oftentimes there was, for lack of a better word, tension in my dad and I's relationship. Most of the time, he was at fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Most of the time, I was at fault. Our relationship was hindered because of my decisions. In order for there to be reconciliation, the word reconciliation being harmony in that relationship, what was going to have to happen? Forgiveness. And how was I going to get forgiveness? I was going to have to humble myself. I'm sorry. I failed you. 
Now, I never stopped being his son. You can ask him if he ever wished that I'd stopped being his son, but I never stopped being his son, but the relationship was hindered. There was tension because I had willfully disobeyed his rules. So as a Christian, my salvation is secure. I don't have to continually ask for forgiveness of my sins. It's really more I'm asking, I'm agreeing, I'm confessing, God, I have failed you. I have not lived in obedience to you. And God, I want to restore that relationship. Will you forgive me? And, and my guess is for everyone in here this morning, you're like me, that this maybe needs to happen more than once a day. Right? So, so maybe this is just one of the reasons and one of the questions text in, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here about maybe I don't feel like God's hearing my prayers. And, and for me, this is the first place I need to go. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in my life, and that's what's hindering the fellowship between me and my Father. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we pray for pardon. The third one there. Look in our text in Matthew, verse number 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So verse 11 says give us. Verse 12 says forgive us. Verse 13 says deliver us. Praying for protection. Laura said something in the statement about the fact as, and she was alluding to the fact that the, the fear she had to go knock on that door. Well, well, let's just take a poll real quick this morning. How many of you, if, if to, this afternoon you were required to walk across the street over here, somewhere you don't know, and knock on the door and tell them that Jesus loves them, how many of you would be a little bit afraid? Put your hand up, look around, all right? Okay, you can put your hands down. That's just a normal fear, right? But did you hear what Laura was saying about that fear? She said, get over it. Then she said, the, the things that kept coming into her mind was the lies of Satan. First Peter says, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? It's not trip up. Not make slip up. The reality is, if you're a believer in here this morning, Satan wants to destroy your life. How is he going to do that? What do we need to do in preparation for that? Ephesians talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and evils of this world. And so what is, in light of that, that Satan wants to destroy you, Satan wants to, to ruin your life, to ruin your marriage, to ruin your home, to ruin your testimony, in light of that, what is Jesus saying here? Deliver us from who? The evil one. And, and this is for all, all of you believers in here, okay? I, I tell people all the time, 
that the moment you make it, so there's going to be people probably in here this morning, and every week there's people in here that make the decision, you know what, i got to get my life straight, i got to get back in church, and I'm going to walk through those doors. I know the right thing to do, or maybe I don't even know what to do. God just, I'm, I'm compelled to go to church and see if I can fix my problems. And when I tell people all the time, that moment you made that decision, that I'm going to head back in the direction of God, guess what? You've just started a war. Satan wants to attack you. So what I was about to read, this being for you believers in here this morning. If you've never sensed the devil's work in your life, perhaps it's because you're walking in the same direction he is walking. If you as a believer are not sharing your faith, if you're not expressing God's love to others, is Satan fighting you at all? He doesn't have to. So as we serve the Lord and we walk with the Lord and we're on his side and we're on mission with him, what do you suppose is going to happen? Satan's going to attack. Pray for protection. Listen to these two statements. Guy King says this, No one is a firmer believer of prayer than the devil. Not that he practices it, but that he suffers from it. Pray. Samuel Chadwick says it this way, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, Prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil and mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I think you're probably like me that it's sometimes difficult to pray. In light of what Jesus is saying, pray to overcome the evil one, who do you think is opposing you in your prayer? Satan is. Satan doesn't want you praying. Satan doesn't want you seeking God. Pray that Jesus would give you the strength to overcome. Pray. Real quickly this morning, three foundations there, right? So you got those three things. Give us, forgive us, deliver us. Provision, pardon, protection. And three foundations of our prayers real quickly this morning praying for God's will praying for God's will Jesus modeled this in the garden of Gethsemane didn't he Lord if there's any other way but the crucifixion if there's any other way for us to redeem mankind but then he ends his prayer by saying what nevertheless not your not my will be done but your will be done what's the prayer here what's the pattern Jesus gives us here Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to pray in God's will. God wants us to ask. God wants us to to come to him with our petitions and and to plead with him and to tell him our desires and our wishes and our needs. But he wants us to do what? To pray according to his will. Again, Jesus was not only an example in his prayer life, he was an example in his life. Critter read Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Let me read the preceding verses for you. 
Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we pray God, your will be done. The next foundation, number two, pursuing God's will. Pursuing God's will. And I think pursuing God's will, the the number one way to pursue God's will, and and there's three different things. We're not going to take time to go through all of these in detail, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So just as we say, give us this bread, our daily bread, we also, Luke tells us what, daily I take up my cross and follow him. I'm daily surrendering to the will, I'm daily pursuing the will of God in my life. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, William talked about getting in the Word, reading the Word. This falls under their pursuing God's will, the surrender principle, the scripture principle. Listen to the words of David. Psalms 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalms 119.102 through 105 says, I have not departed from your judgments, For you yourself have taught me how sweet your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We want to pray in God's will. We want to pursue God's will. And the last one, the third one, is practicing God's will. Look at those two quotes on your bulletin this morning, and, and this may be a challenge for you today, all right? But look at those, those two quotes. It says, God is not responsible to lead us one step further than the measure of obedience to him. What, what does that mean? Let, let me think about that for a second. You ever, you ever wrestled and asked people, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do next. I don't know what God's will is for my life. And the truth is, there's so many things in Scripture that that God has asked us or commanded us to do that if we're honest with ourselves, we're not obeying. So God's not going to give you further instructions if you haven't already obeyed the instructions he clearly laid out in Scripture. The next one there by Jack Graham on the last part of your bulletin says, God will not reveal more of his will to us if there are things we're doing that he already has asked us to do. If there are things we're not doing that he's already asked us to do. So, we want to pray for pardon and provision and protection. And we're praying for God's will. But more than just praying for God's will, we want to pursue God's will. The best way to pursue God's will is, guess what? Get into his word. Get into his word. 
spend time in prayer with him, and then practice his will. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers. In other words, practice what you preach, right? Do, 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 already, do what you already know is right to do. Several years ago, I was, uh, after I preached the message, this lady came up to me after church. This was in Kansas, and she said, I feel like God really spoke to me today in your message. I said, oh, what did, what, what did you hear from God this morning? She said, I think God has told me to go to California and to, meet, uh, to marry, and she named some entertainer. I don't know how you got that out of my message, but okay, I'll. I said, do you know this person? No. I said, aren't, aren't you married already? Yeah. I'll have to get a divorce, and then I'll have to move to California. Then I'll have to meet him, and then we'll get married. But that's what God wants me to do. You know what I said to her? Now, this is really clear in Scripture. God doesn't want you to divorce your husband. And so based on Scripture, I would say God is not the one telling you to do this. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to do something that is contrary to what God's Word has already told us. I haven't seen her since. She didn't like my answer. I don't know. Maybe she's married to said entertainer. I don't know. What an, what an absurd thing to say God has told her to do. But I wonder, in your life, and in my life, in what areas in our life are we not being obedient? We're over here giving our request to God. Well, I want you to do this, and tell me this, and show me this. And God's saying... What about that? I can't, I can't answer that until you take care of that. So in my life, am I really pursuing God's will? Or do I just want to give God a work order? God, if you'll take care of these things, that'd be great. I'll see you next week. Am I pursuing him? The greatest benefit of prayer is not getting a request answered. It's getting to speak with the great I am. God Almighty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Because Jesus hung on a cross so that you could have access to him. Jesus said in John 14, let me read it for you this morning. No longer do I call you servants. John fifteen fifteen. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. Not only is as a believer God your father, but you're a friend of God. Just talk to him. Have a conversation. Would you close your eyes this morning?
wrestle with the question, am I really praying for God's will in my life? Am I really pursuing God's will in my life? Am I practicing God's will for my life? And if you can't say yes to those those simple questions, here's what I want you to do this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship. And I want to encourage you in a moment when we stand, if there's one of those three areas in your life, or maybe it's all three at times, come talk to your friend, Jesus, about it. Come talk to your father who wants to hear you, who wants to encourage you. Maybe this morning it's simple just to come forward and to pray. God, I need your provision. God, I need to ask for for forgiveness because, well, you know. Just ask him, just talk to him. My guess is that some of you have have a friend in here uh, that you could call at any moment. Maybe you haven't talked to him in 10 years and you could pick up the phone and call him and you'd pick up right where you left off. My friend like that is Mark James. I can call him anytime, even though we don't talk very often. He lives in Oklahoma. He'd do whatever, whatever I needed, he would do it. And we would pick up just like we did as high school students. That doesn't compare to when I pick up the phone and I call my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't let the guilt of not talking to him for a while keep you from talking to him now. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the blessing, the privilege, the honor that we can have a conversation with you. Lord, for us in here this morning that are wrestling with one of these things, Don't let pride keep us from making it right. Don't let pride keep us from pursuing you and practicing your will. Encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us, Lord, to have a conversation with you. Before I have you stand this morning, as as I was praying, I was reminded of a text I got this week, and maybe it'll be an encouragement to you. I talked to somebody that had been to church here and hadn't been to church in a long time. Last Monday morning, I texted him and I just asked him a question, how are you doing? I said, doing good. I just prayed for the first time in 20 years. I said, how did it go? He said, better than I thought. And there may have been some tears that I shed. Can I tell you something? God was not angry at that person for not talking for them in 20 years. 
when he picked up the phone and said, hey God, he got an answer. He got a conversation. And maybe that's what you need to do today. If you need help in that area, there's, there's men and women up here at the front. They'd be glad to help you pray. Pray with you, pray for you. This morning, if you'd just like to come forward and pray, I would encourage you to do that. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm gonna sing a familiar song. And I would encourage you, come, come forward and talk to God, your Father, your friend, as we sing.